0: School is in session for you as a parent on the podcast. We are going to dive in to talking about your child's education and helping them transition back to school. We're going to talk about advocacy and IEPs and answering frequently asked questions. What you're going to see with this mini series throughout the month of August is we have a mix of new episodes and some replay episodes as well that shared so much goodness around this topic that I want to be sure that you've heard it, especially with so many new listeners on the podcast. So let's dive in. Welcome to a parenting space actually designed for you, where you can get answers about navigating a life that includes autism. I'm Dr. Tay, a licensed child psychologist and parental coach specializing in neurodivergent affirming care. I have supported hundreds of autistic children and their families and have been in the autism field for over a decade. And I know firsthand the impact autism can have. I was 12 years old when my little brother was diagnosed and my family had to learn how to navigate the autism journey. It wasn't always easy. Two decades later, I now create resources and services I wish my family had, including this podcast. And I developed the whole family approach. On this podcast, of course, we will talk about autism, but we will also talk about your personal growth and well being as a parent, supporting your non autistic children, and sharing personal stories of other families so you know you're not alone. Quick disclaimer before we jump into today's episode. Anything shared on this podcast should not be considered clinical advice, and you should consult with your team of medical, mental health, and developmental providers if you need support. Real quick about this episode. So this is a replay of episode 25, Autism and Special Education Rights with attorney Ashley Barlow. This is a frequently listened to episode. I just thought it was really important to do a replay of this one as kids are headed back to school so that you really know your rights as a parent regarding your child's education. I would recommend, even if you listened to this episode when it first aired, dive back in to make sure you are refreshed and ready to go. All right, y'all, we are back for another podcast episode, and I am so excited to be talking about this topic today. We're going to dive into IEPs, the special education world, and as a parent, having knowledge on what you can advocate for, because I think this is often a gap that I see is that parents don't understand what their rights are and what their children can get through the educational system. I talk as a licensed child psychologist, I talk a lot about the clinical side, and it's really important to recognize that a clinical diagnosis isn't the same thing as an educational diagnosis. And so we're gonna go through that process today. I have Ashley Barlow here with us, and she is an expert in this topic and has so much knowledge. When I came across her on Instagram, I knew she was the perfect person to bring on the podcast so we could really dive into this episode. We're gonna be talking about what the idea act is, so you have a sense of why the public education system has to provide support for your autistic child, what rights you have. We're going to talk a little bit about IEP versus 504 plan. This is a question I get from parents all the time. And then talk literally about advocacy and what steps you can take as a parent. So welcome, Ashley. And I am so excited to have you here today. Yay. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. And I know you're about to give us so much wisdom and knowledge. But before we jump into that, go ahead and do a little bit of an intro of the type of work you do, how you got into this field as well, and really how you serve families.
1: Sure. So my name is Ashley Barlow. I am an attorney. I'm licensed in Ohio and Kentucky. I only practice in Kentucky currently. And I was a teacher before I went to law school. So I taught German. And I have taught every grade from kindergarten to seniors in college, except for two or three, I think. And I didn't teach for very long, but I have certainly done a lot of teaching. And then I also am a parent to a little guy, Jack, who is almost 13, who has Down syndrome, So I see things at the IEP table from many different perspectives. I see it from the perspective of an educator from a business perspective, because I own my law firm and I own this other business that I'll tell you about. And then I see it from the perspective of a parent too. And I think that's really an important thing because when we talk about negotiation strategy, we talk about really this interest-based negotiation, which I'm sure we'll get into here in a little bit. So in 2020, The world was really grappling with this ginormous shift in how children were being educated. I really set out to do a podcast or a vlog or something to support parents that were supporting their kids at home as the pandemic was really starting to take hold in our country, but really also helping them realize that the insight that they were gaining by supporting their kids at home was gonna be super important and impactful insight to help them advocate in special education. Because so many parents are saying, oh, now I see the big problem, or golly, working with them has been such a struggle. And I'm like, we can do something with this. And so from that idea, the whole business came to light. My business is called Ashley Barlow Company. And what we do is we provide more reasonably priced resources to parents and to special education advocates. So I have two digital training courses. I have a podcast. I have a membership. I actually just this summer opened a tutoring and coaching center So we've got all kinds of resources over there for parents that are probably more reasonably priced than hiring an advocate or an attorney yourself.
0: That's amazing. And we will definitely be linking your website. I was doing some scrolling on your website myself and so much information there. I was like blown away with all that you have to offer. And your mission is really trying to make it accessible for parents to be able to get this information, which I think is so important. So let's jump in. Sometimes I'll get parents that just got their autism diagnosis for their child, or they're going through the journey of even getting a diagnosis. So if they're brand new to this idea of special education and what can occur in the school system, can you talk a little bit just briefly on the history idea and how it works in the school system?
1: Yeah, sure. So the concept of special education goes all the way back to 1973 when the education for handicapped, maybe access for children, I don't remember what the A was, was enacted. And that then became IDEA, which is Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. And so IDEA is our federal law that governs special education. And IDEA provides lots and lots of different categories of support The thing that I like to stress the most is that in that federal law, the word parent appears over 400 times. So when Congress goes to set out a new law, they do a ton of research. They, you know, have all kinds of different coalitions and groups that study the impact of what a law would have, especially something this big. And what their research resulted in time after time after time was that parents, needed to be a part of special education programming, that kids got better results if parents were involved. And so we talk about parent rights, that's what they're called in the law, but they really also are obligations. So this is really exciting because it brought to light this entire concept of parent advocacy in special education. So we've got this law that provides access to education to children with disabilities, but it's not only access. So in special education, if you qualify under IDEA, you get something called an IEP, an Individualized Education Program. and Under the IEP, the heart and soul, bread and butter, like the girth of the IEP, is this concept called specially designed instruction. And if you think about how exciting that is, like just pause for a second and think, like think about your adorable kid with like crooked teeth and a crooked smile and that blonde wispy hair. Think about that little rascal that lives in your house. And then think about how they are entitled, if they qualify for an IEP, to instruction that is specially designed for them. There's other language in there that says that it's uniquely tailored to help them make meaningful progress. I mean, it's powerful what Congress intended for kids with disabilities to get. And the whole idea is that we're getting education that is, in fact, specially tailored to their unique needs so that they make that progress and so that they get something other than just a spot in the classroom. They aren't just getting the right to be in the classroom. They're actually getting the right to learn. So they get that, they get accommodations, modifications, the list goes on and on.
0: I love that. Just taking a step back of what an IEP truly means. And I think sometimes we miss the heart of that. We get so focused on the mechanics of it. Like, what does my kid qualify? And it's like, is your kid getting What ultimately is going to help them thrive in the classroom? And that is the thing. It's the difference between just getting by, like surviving, and actually thriving, learning, and being able to learn in the way that's going to suit them best. And I think, in theory, IDEA is amazing. And I'm sure from your standpoint, from my standpoint as well, sometimes how it's applied isn't always the most ideal. And so It can be a battle for parents. What sort of things on your end do you often see are some of the biggest challenges coming up that parents are either coming to you with or where they're getting stuck?
1: I think that's a really good question and it goes in themes and sometimes the themes stereotypically follow different diagnoses. So my little boy has Down syndrome. So in the Down syndrome community, stereotypically, we are advocating a lot for more inclusive opportunities, more modifications, more behavior support so that we can stay in that inclusive environment a lot not all but a lot of parents of children that have autism and then autistic learners themselves once they are able to be a part of the meetings are advocating for more segregated settings more specialized services sometimes we're advocating for outplacement depending on how a disability impacts a student so a lot of it's around educational placement and what's interesting about out placement, going to a specialized setting or even an autism unit or an autism classroom or inclusion is that comes at the very end of the IEP. And so a big kind of theme that I try to really advocate for and to teach parents is that that IEP document, that really, really regimented document that has parts to it that are prescribed by the federal law and then adopted by your state and then teased out even further in your state regulations by your department of ed, that thing goes in order. So the first thing is going to be something that's called something like present levels of performance. Flaps, plops, you know, in different states, we call them different things. Those present levels of performance should really deliberately describe the child and the entire profile. How does autism affect your child? Completely grossly, comprehensively. And then from that, we should build these goals. So we can't build a goal for every deficit that we find or every struggle. I like to say stretches and struggles, right? Because we all need to have this growth mindset. So for every struggle, we can't build a goal. So what are we going to prioritize? Where are we going to build the goals? Then how are we going to teach to it? So again, we go back up to that profile and we say, does this kid have a really good visual profile? Or Man, they really have struggles with social skills, so we better not choose like an interactive curriculum because we're already struggling with social skills. We aren't going to do very well with that. So we keep going back up to those present levels to design the programming. And then we work ourselves down to what accommodations do we need? How can we make school more accessible to you? how do we need to modify the general education curriculum in order to make it more accessible to you? Do we need to give you a less dense curriculum? Can we give you the five main ideas from every topic? How can we modify it? And then we get all the way down to special education service minutes and placement. So the IEP builds in progress and we either need to add services or take away services. We need to highlight things. We need to think about where things are going to be taught if we're looking at that educational setting. And that is hugely, like, when I explain that to people, they're like, oh, light bulb, I see. Yeah, Oops. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. So I would say in my clinical work, working with tons of autistic children and their families that I typically see three themes of what happens. And all of these kids already have a autism diagnosis in terms of the medical setting, the clinical setting yes. is one, it goes pretty smoothly. It's funny. I had a conversation with a recent family that I'm working with. They were getting ready to go into their IEP meeting. And I basically was like, warning them of what could happen because I don't want parents to go in blind and be completely like, what just happened? And this mom was then like, well, actually they already told me he qualifies. Like it was smooth as day. And I was like, I wish they all went like this, you know? Yeah, eligibility
1: Uh, is a huge, huge thing.
0: And that's where I think I usually see the most struggle is that eligibility where it's either they're qualifying or one of two things happen. For young kids, I often see they have the autism diagnosis, but they're being classified as developmentally delayed in their IEP, that's one. And then number two is I get... A lot of kids that have average to above average IQs are getting good grades, but it's this battle of they still need the support. I will never forget in grad school, I had a patient. She was probably 11, 12, somewhere around that. I think a 140 IQ, brilliant. And academically performed so well but then in order to keep up with the curriculum she was doing five six hours of homework every night and just had fallen through the cracks so I see this a lot though where parents are getting denied the IEP because that they're saying there's no educational needs I just threw a lot but can you talk on some of those
1: Yeah. So eligibility is really pretty easy. It's a two-part test. A, do you have a qualifying disability? If you have an autism diagnosis, then yes, you do. If it impacts you significantly enough to get the medical diagnosis, even if school runs the profiles and questionnaires, you're probably going to get that. What I recommend to people is before the meeting, there's a meeting where you're planning the evaluations that the school wants to do, make sure you communicate either at the meeting with an outline so that you're sure you don't miss anything, or even in writing before. Here's our outside report. Here's how we see autism affecting our child. Go into all of those things in your IQ testing, working memory, processing speed, auditory processing, visual processing. Look at all of that. Look at academics. Do we not understand how to do math word problems because there's too many pragmatics in it? Like we can do the math computation, but we just can't put humans into the mix here. Really kind of look specifically at cognitive testing, the academic testing, and then that adaptive functioning testing. So look at all of the executive functions. Google the list if it's not in your report and talk about each one of those executive functions. I had to do this for my own child who is largely typically (laughs) abled. However, he has ADHD. And as he works his way through puberty, his executive functioning just stinks, but he has straight A's and he takes all AP classes. So I had to go in and say, this is what we're seeing with his prioritization and planning, with his initiation, with his ability to shift, to go with the flow if changes occur, And I went piece by piece and described them to them. I do an outline because I tend to be very verbose and talk a lot. And then I follow up in writing so that they know. And nine times out of 10, if you go in and you geek out for them, again, this is not only a right for parents, it's an obligation. Something's going to click where they're going to say, oh, yeah, actually, we do see that. So part one is, do you have the qualifying disability. And can I jump in
0: real quick? Because I think this is, some parents might be like, ooh, that sounds, I don't know if I can do that. The thing that I want to recommend is use your current team, whoever your current team in the outpatient setting is. Who's the psychologist or the developmental pediatrician that diagnosed your child? Asking them questions. Are you seeing a speech therapist? Are you seeing an occupational therapist? Yeah. Yeah, you can gather this data from your child's team and start making this list for when you go into the meeting. So don't feel like you have to do it alone.
1: Agree entirely. And those reports have this information, but if it's not in there, you can go out and find it yourself. And then the second part is adverse educational impact. So is it impacting the child adversely and in the school setting? And that's the one where schools can sometimes be like, well, they have straight A's and they are so brilliant. Real quick, just
0: a brief interruption, because I want you to know you don't have to navigate this journey alone. If you're in a place where you have concerns about your child's development, you've been on the search for a therapist that provides evidence-informed neurodivergent affirming care, or you're needing more support as a parent, the whole family approach may be a good fit for you. Autism doesn't just impact your child's life, so you deserve care that works for your child and your whole family head to the link in the show notes to schedule a complimentary call where we can chat about your unique circumstances. We can help you decide if Dr. Tay Concierge Clinical Care would be a good fit for your family. And if not, we will provide you resources for your next best steps.
1: And so then what I would recommend doing is getting out of the academic piece of it and looking at the other supports that you can get in that IEP. Social pragmatics. If you're seeing a speech therapist, Then ask your speech therapist what specially designed instruction they need in order to get through their academic and functional skills. So, the entire purpose of the federal law is to help students access further education, employment, and independent living. Mm -hmm. And so, if we think about that, two thirds of that is really focused on adult life. Further education, all right, fine. Like that could also mean fourth grade and then 12th grade, but it also could mean college or technical school or adult learning, but then employment and independent living. So what skills do we need in order to be employable, in order to live independently? So many of the transition to adulthood employment profiles that you start to run in special education Will say, well, the kid wants to work at GameStop or at some video game store because they like to game. But they have terrible, terrible social skills, really impaired social skills. And I'm like, so what's going to happen the first time that somebody returns the game? Well, it's not going to go well because they're going to say, this is the best game in the universe. I can't believe you want to return it, and then all of these behaviors that we had in high school, cursing, name-calling, it might be spitting, it might be physical aggression, the cash register might come flying off the counter. Those things are going to happen if we don't work on those skills and strategies in high school. So really think about pragmatic speech, think about self-regulation, think about your social skills, Think about all the things that we work on with OT, interoception. I'm getting a lot of people to work on interoception, which is your emotions, feeling your emotions, identifying your emotions, accessing skills and strategies for your emotions. We can get students qualified under different disability categories. So I think, Dr. Tay, that goes to the DD question. I think the federal law says that DD has to be available until children are six. And I want to tell you why before we give it a bad rap. And then some states extend it. In Kentucky, it's nine. So here's the deal is some students get a slow start. It could be because of something medical. So maybe if you have hurt surgery, or you have leukemia, or a lot of times socioeconomics are tied to these. So statistically, we've done a lot of research to realize that students that aren't raised in language-rich environments or in academically rich environments just aren't ready for kindergarten. So IDEA covers the lifespan. From ages zero to three, you get early intervention. That might be first steps, help me grow, whatever your early intervention is. Then three to five, you get public preschool free and under idea, you get a free appropriate public education. So that's preschool. And then at the age of five until the age of 22, you get that K to 12 education. So DD qualifies kids, gives them free appropriate public education if they have a slow start for any reason something medical, something developmental, something that is environmental. And so that's a good thing. But what happens is we kind of lump everybody into DD and then on their ninth birthday or their sixth birthday or whatever, everybody's afraid that they're going to strip our IEPs away from us. Right. So you might qualify for autism, but you also might qualify For an emotional disturbance, is what it's called in Kentucky, unfortunately, emotional behavioral disorder. You might qualify for a speech category. There's also a category called other health impairment in the federal law. That'll include dyslexia and ADHD and other things. So it's possible to qualify under OHI as well. One little tidbit, like super straight up advocacy tip, is look at the eligibility form on your state's website. So Google Pennsylvania, Department of Ed, special education eligibility form, look to see what you have to prove and then get the documentation to prove that, get your outside reports and that stuff to prove that.
0: Yeah. I love that. The DD category is amazing. And I often talk with families about trying to get that autism classification as early as possible to get it recognized? Because I have seen kids, unfortunately, that it's like, well, they're not delayed anymore. And so they end up losing their IEPs. How does that align with what you would say? Because I'm curious.
1: I mean, so autism can impact you differently. If you get enough support, then for acute periods of time, you might be super regulated and there might not be a humongous impact that showing itself outwardly. So what I would say to parents, something that is, it feels like a lot of negative energy and it feels like really focusing on your child's developmental profile is journal. So find some tool that you like online where you can track their social skills, their independent living skills, their health Find something where you can track it and then take notes. For kids that are school age, maybe every six months, how many ear infections have we had? How many incidents of physical aggression have we had? How did we do at soccer? When exactly did soccer start to get hard? So that basically if you reach eligibility at a time, if your meeting comes at a time that you really are in a six-month period where the disability isn't impacting you all that significantly, you're really kind of keeping ahead of it so that then maybe eventually you do need access to that IEP.
0: Yeah, I will say just to share, and I think it depends state by state, but I have seen kids that absolutely should be qualifying for an IEP under autism though, and they are impacted. They do need the supports that come with that. And states will just blanket do the DD. They're like, I've heard from different boards. Like, well, we don't do that. But I think what you're saying here though, is actually educating yourself on the different criteria and how you can support that. And I've been involved in IEP meetings with a lot of the families I work with. I have no problem going in and advocating for why these supports are needed and what the data is. But I love what you're saying here too, is provide
1: the data yourself. And here's like a ginormous misconception that the federal department of ed has put in policy document after policy document. Disability category does not drive services. So you do not get different services for DD than you do for autism. They can not do that. So it doesn't matter. Eligibility is what you need in order to get an IEP. If it's a speech only IEP, it's a little bit different. If it's OT only, you actually might not get the IEP depending right. on what your school says. So it's a little bit nuanced, but if we're thinking about like a lot of states break out your cognitive impairment, is it significant or is it moderate? And in that case, and the difference between DD and a cognitive impairment or DD and autism, it doesn't matter. You're still going to get academic support if you need it, speech support if you need it, OT support if you need it. So you can still get all those services.
0: Totally. I've seen that. I guess my hesitancy is that DD category eventually goes away. And I've just seen parents have an easier time advocating for the autism classification earlier on in the trajectory than later on in the trajectory. And I totally hear you. Maybe the way that I'm telling parents to advocate, maybe that's not where their energy should be spent. But I I think that's helpful though. These are helpful understandings, how this actually works. And I will say I'm learning things as you're sharing. So yeah. Awesome. Real quick, because I know we're starting to actually run out of time, but can you talk about briefly the difference between an IEP and a 504 plan, and
1: particularly under the lens of autism? So, 504 plans come out of a law called the Rehabilitation Act of 1973, and it's section 504 of that law. And so, what they do is they prohibit discrimination on the basis of a bunch of things, including disability at certain qualifying places, public places, which includes schools. So basically under 504, if we narrow it to this purpose, schools cannot discriminate against your child because they have autism. So if your child needs certain accommodations and only accommodations that are secondary to their autism diagnosis, the school has to provide them. So an easy, easy parallel here is diabetes. So if your child has diabetes and there's a school-wide policy that you can't have food in class, but your child needs access to Skittles and orange juice and water, well, they have to be able to have those. So you think about autism. What does your child need in order to stay regulated or in order to stay organized or in order to be able to participate in social-emotional learning experiences, to be able to do group work? So maybe it's access to fidgets, or it's breaks during the day, or it's a trusted adult, or it is sensory regulating, like a little notebook that they carry around with them so that they can do minds in motion kind of things, regulating activities. So with a 504, you do not get that specially designed instruction, but you get access to accommodation, skills, strategies, tools, supports that help you to access your education. That's the yes. difference.
0: Okay. And you gave some really concrete examples of accommodations. Can you give some concrete examples of this specially designed instruction, what that would look like?
1: Yeah. So maybe your child really struggles with math. Maybe math is just too concrete and they really struggle. So specially designed instruction and math is going to look back at their pr- profile and say, okay, well, we've got a student with really strong visual profile, great visual processing, and they struggle with math computation. So what's a program that we can use to hone in on those math skills? We're going to develop a, a goal around those math skills. Maybe it's math calculation problems with sums under 20. So a great program for that is called Touch Points Math. Maybe it's reading, maybe it is time on task, like sustaining attention or initiating to something new. So we're gonna look for curricula that address that particular thing. A lot of students in special education that have autism get a program for regulation, like zones of regulation, or there's one called high five something that there's five ideas that you look at this little hand on your paper but it's taught. It's not just accessible to you. It is taught. There's a curriculum that you go through. We take progress monitoring data and we track it. Okay.
0: And then speech and OT are going to fall under the IEP lens as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. And a big pet peeve that I have is that schools don't always want to give pragmatic speech goals and instruction. And same thing with assistive technology. They don't want to give a kid a talker if they're verbal. And I'm like, yes, but if they're dysregulated, then they're going to have a really hard time accessing their expressive language to even tell you how they feel. So hang on a second. Let's think about what happens when they're dysregulated because we have to think about all times of the day. Make sure you're advocating for if to the extent that your child needs help expressing their wants, needs, talking about emotions, And talking when things are breaking down, make sure you ask for that also.
0: Yeah. And then one point that I find is that OT often just addresses the fine motor aspect in a lot of educational settings. And there's so much more to OT than that. So why don't you just wrap us up and tell us, you know, maybe a tip or two of how do parents begin advocating? And then an additional layer, if they're needing more support in this area, how can they connect with you and learn a little bit more about the services you offer.
1: Yes, absolutely. So my number one tip is communicate, communicate, communicate. Actually, over on my website, I've got something to download that is a communication guide and it's got templates, what to communicate before school. For younger students, recommend communicating every single Sunday, especially if your child has limited expressive language or pragmatic language skills schools don't live our lives and if you think about the three communities where students live it is school home and the community parents are the general contractors of home and the community so if they're writing journal prompts and we want school to be meaningful right so if they're writing journal prompts and school doesn't know that they've seen the minions movie or that they've been to the baseball game or that their brother plays soccer then the story's gonna come up about soccer and they aren't gonna say, oh yeah, you know about soccer. Oh yeah, you've been to the FC game in your city. And so the more we communicate about what they've done, what works, what doesn't work, medical updates, behavioral updates, what your outside clinicians, your tutors and your coaches and your therapists are saying, what your BCBA and behaviorists are saying, the more that we can help school unlock our child's potential and get that book of ideas. The more successful the child's gonna be at school. This in fact, involves a lot of vulnerability, a lot of vulnerability, cause we just wanna get stuck and it's not gonna work. They don't like me, they don't like my child, but the more vulnerable we can be, the better team players we can be. At the end of the day, we're all a team. And so we have to be vulnerable to work on that teamwork. So communicate. That's the big tip. That's such a good tip.
0: And if parents are needing more support, how can they connect with you?
1: Thank you. So the website and my Facebook and Instagram are Ashley Barlow Co, CO, like company. So I do a lot of free resources on Instagram. You can hop over to the website. The tutoring center is open and enrolling clients right now. And you're always welcome to DM me as well.
0: Awesome. And I will get all of that linked. Ashley, thank you so much. And like I said, I learned things today and it's a fun meeting of the minds too. This is for sure your area of expertise. And I think you gave so much value today. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's so nice to meet you. All right, y'all, more to come with this mini series The School Is In Session, including a Q&A episode where I will be answering your questions about the educational system and how to help your autistic child transition back to school. If you have questions after listening to this episode or questions that you've been wondering broadly about autism and education, send me a DM and I will do my best to include your question. Keep in mind, I can't provide any sort of tailored recommendations for your child, but I love being able to educate on this topic especially as kids transition back to school. Bye y'all. Before we wrap up this episode, for real this time, I want to share a couple ways you can get even more value and what your next steps could be. First, join the Evolve Facebook group. We do Q&As about the episodes and so much more. I linked that group, my personal social media pages, and any resources I mentioned in this episode in the show notes. So scroll down now and join me online. When you submit questions on any of my pages, your question could be featured on this podcast. How cool is that? I love being able to speak on topics that feel directly relevant to your life. Your questions truly make a difference in the content we create here. One last thing, do your fellow autism parents a favor. Share this episode on your social media and tag me. Autism currently affects 1 in 36 families in the United States and many more worldwide. So I'm sure there is a parent in your social media followers that could be served by this podcast. Thank you again for being here, and I'm so grateful we shared this time together. Bye, y'all.